G'day guys and welcome to this week's episode of the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today I've got a special guest and often a Coach Mark Carroll contributor, Roger from A Healthy Shift. Welcome Roger. And good morning to you Mark and thank you very much once again for having me on the podcast. So Roger recently um, wrote a awesome blog for Coach Mark Carroll all around protein um, and so we'll kind of wanted to dive into a little bit about that. Obviously, protein is pretty important for helping you manipulate or improve your body composition. Um, before we get started, Roger, do you just want to give everyone a quick kind of rundown? I'm sure a lot of people know you, um, but yeah, give a quick rundown of who you are, what you do. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Mark. Um, I'm a veteran shift worker of, well, now it's just ticked over 39 years and uh, an MNU certified nutritionist. And what I do is I coach shift workers now one-to-one to to help them with uh, nutrition and health and well-being to try and cope with the rigors of shift work. So my mantra is to give you more energy to do the things that you love outside of your shift working life. It's a very rigorous environment. So I just help people with simple strategies to do that. So, um, and love it, really enjoy it. So you're not going to find someone who's more passionate about what they do than Roger. He lives and breathes this stuff and, you know, truly loves learning and wants to help people. And this episode, guys, that's why I wanted to get Roger on because it's always nice to chat to someone who actually really cares about their work and, you know, staying up to date with the current research. And that's definitely what Roger does. So on this episode, guys, we're going to talk um, basically all things protein, well, to some degree, a lot of things about protein and I guess the first question I want to cover is why is protein important? And obviously here's the thing. I'm sure now you get told yourself, oh, I know I should have protein for people to saying that. I was like, oh, you, you should have protein. And everywhere you watch movies and stuff like that, you know, there's always like the guys having a protein shake or something in the movie. I was like, oh, you gotta have protein. And you know, well, why? Like, cause for most people, I don't think the general public, they get that you should have protein. But why should they actually be having a problem? What, what, what is the actual reasons why? Yeah, protein is without any doubt whatsoever the most underrated macronutrient of the three that we have. So we've got protein, carbohydrates and fats, which we need to consume. And protein is, I'm going to liken it to, I, I talk about this like a Lego set. So when people consume protein, what they do is protein is actually 20 different amino acids. And nine of those are essential amino acids that we must, we have to get from food. Our body can't manufacture them. So when I I talk about it like a Lego set, so when you eat a chicken breast, it breaks down into all of those 20 different um, amino acids, which is like breaking down your Lego set. So you buy, I'll hit you in the fields here. You buy the Batmobile in in, uh, Lego. And what you do is you build the Batmobile and that's your chicken breast. But when you break it down as you do, and then you end up making a motorbike out of it, or you end up making a house out of it, that's literally how protein behaves in our body. So we eat the chicken breast and as we're digesting it, it breaks down into all different um, amino acids. And then those amino acids rebuild into the proteins to repair muscle tissue, to repair, um, it runs our hair, skin, nails. It is literally the building blocks of our body. So as we're consuming protein, 
it breaks down and then the workers in the body then send it to where it's needed to rebuild into the proteins that it needs. And that's the important thing. And I think what we do, we have this in our mind, all we think about is these bros in the gym wandering around in stringer singlets, drinking protein shakes. But we actually, as we age, we need more protein as well. It's really important because it is what keeps the muscle repairing and building. And lean muscle for us as we age is incredibly important for us to maintain that. And, it, you know, it shows and research shows that we are, most of us are severely deficient in our protein intake. So it really is something that we need to make sure that we're increasing all the time. Um, I want to touch on a point you just made there, and that is around protein intake as you age. And a lot of the times, you know, you've got your 18-year-olds having, you know, three to four grams of protein per kilogram of body weight and stuff like that. But then you get people later in their life, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, now being more aware of protein. And then they think, well, now... You know, I went from having 30 grams of protein a day to now adding a shake and now I'm having 50 grams of protein. And they're like, well, is that good? And say, well, yeah, sure. 50 grams is better than 30 grams. But as you age, your protein requirements actually should go up. And that's something uh, quite a shock to the system to people like, oh, but I'm not trying to be a big bodybuilder and stuff like that. And it's not quite the point, just like the protein levels that you have when you're younger. Yes, you need higher protein compared to most people, but you don't need, um, you know, so much where you pass a certain threshold where, well, it's doing more. It's not actually doing more. But as you age, now people are, you know, being aware that they should have protein. But what, what is kind of happening where the reason or justification for why, as you age, you should actually be increasing your protein intake compared to someone of um younger? Yeah, I think the the main reason why is because when we're younger we just are consuming an awful lot of food. So we're getting protein from everywhere. We're very energetic. And so therefore we're consuming a lot of food and we're picking protein up out of everything because most, most foods have got even a small amount of protein in it compared to, um, uh, you know, even like bread and things like that. They've got small amounts of protein. So the more we eat, the more protein we're getting. But as we age, it's easy for Nana to sit down and have a cup of tea and a biscuit. And protein is a lot harder for older people. When I say older, for people who, you know, once you go over late 50s, 60s, protein can be hard to consume because we generally get our protein from animal or you know, gen as a general rule, that generation, because we didn't really have the veganism and the, um, and the vegetarianism. But as you go over the 60s and 70s, it's very hard for people to consume protein. And that's due to, you know, they have teething issues and um, and just being able to swallow protein full stop. So what happens is they end up, people that as they age, they end up with sarcopenia, which is the actual loss of muscle. Because one thing that's really important, and I know we're going to cover it here today, is we have to prevent muscle protein breakdown. And we have to make sure that we're continually recycling and rebuilding our lean muscle, otherwise we end up with what's known as sarcopenia and our muscle literally wastes away. This is where people end up with, um, you see older people that, you know, really, really struggling and they have falls and they can't recover properly because there's no proteins going around our body 
like I said before, about eating the chicken breast and having the amino acids in your bloodstream. So when something happens or goes wrong with the body, all it does is collects the protein or the amino acids into the proteins to repair that. But as we, um, as we age, we don't have those proteins running around our system. So therefore it continually breaks down. So I kind of want to touch on a point. Uh, obviously we talk about muscle protein breakdown, which we obviously don't want, but what I often talk about on social media is muscle protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, that is a key aspect of trying to you know, trigger the aspects of trying to grow muscle. And obviously when we're training, um, we increase muscle protein synthesis, um, post-session stuff like that. And then when we're consuming protein, we're also triggering it. Do you want to kind of touch on what is actually that and why is it important for growing muscle? Because then that kind of filters back into probably where we'll go later in the call mm -hmm. with how often to have your protein intake throughout the day. Yeah, I think one of the most important and underrated things in relation to muscle protein synthesis is we always talk about muscle protein synthesis and we need optimal amounts of protein, which we'll cover later to make sure that we are getting that muscle protein synthesis. But what we need to do is we need to prevent muscle protein breakdown so that we're not breaking down our own, in simple terms, we're not breaking down our own muscle for energy because there's no muscle, uh, no amino acids in our bloodstream. So I think what we need to do when we talk about muscle protein synthesis, muscle protein synthesis is actually the process within our body of rebuilding and repairing our muscles. So when we train or as we just move or do anything, our muscle will break down. And we have to prevent that. And the way we prevent that is by making sure that there is sufficient protein amino acids running around our bloodstream so that when the muscle opens to repair, which is a complicated process, but when the muscle opens to repair, there is sufficient amino acids to prevent the breakdown. It opens, it looks, it goes, oh good, there's enough amino acids here, drags them into the muscle and then starts the repair process. If it opens the muscle and it looks into the bloodstream and there's no amino acids, what actually happens is it goes, oh, well, we've got nothing here. We need to survive. So it starts breaking itself down. So if you're, if you're someone out there that wants to build muscle, like, you know, you want to build your glutes up and you're fasting to train, there's no, there's no protein in your bloodstream. So as you're damaging the muscle, so what's happening is it's breaking itself down to survive and try and repair itself by breaking itself down. So we need to make sure that we've got protein running in the bloodstream so that it continually builds and prevents the breakdown. I guess when then looking at protein intake, we often tend to, you know, prescribe macronutrients, hey, here's your macro totals, say 180 grams of protein a day, 150 grams carbs, et cetera, and stuff like that. So from a standpoint of, you know, people say, let's focus on calories or let's just get your protein intake in, stuff like that. When looking at your total protein intake, let's let's round it to, so keep it simple, 120 grams of protein a day. Why is it not optimal to go get, say, 120 grams of protein in, in a meal. Let's say, oh, I want to fast. So therefore I'm going to have a big steak, some chicken breast and two scoops of protein in um, 
at, and get 120 grams literally in one meal at 8 p.m. at night and then nothing for the rest of the day. It's like, well, I still hit my protein target, right? I got my 120 grams and it's more efficient for me um, to just do it all. Why is that not as ideal? Um, and why the research shows, again, that's not as ideal as probably going, all right, let's break those um, that protein intake up into, say, four servings a day of 30 grams every few hours throughout the day. Yeah. This is where the ladies that are out there that think that you need to fast and train fasted and, and do this, what we call time restricted feeding, or most people call intermittent fasting, where it's no good for you. While it assists with a calorie deficit, the good, what we need to do is we've been asleep overnight and we've been asleep for, let's just say between seven and nine hours. And the protein amino acids that are running around our bloodstream have been spent overnight by building muscle overnight. That's what they've been doing. They've been working. So when we wake up, there is no amino acids in our bloodstream. So can, can I ask um, a question just yeah. on that? Yep. Um, so I, I forget myself. Um, how long is protein after consuming it circulating in your bloodstream? And then from a standpoint of different protein sources, like what's the kind of time frame? Does it matter from say a whey, which is obviously digested more quickly versus say something like red meat, which is more fatty. Does that impact the rate of um, protein leaving the bloodstream or just digestion? Well, it, it's shown that um, whey protein shakes are more optimal um, because it's more rapidly absorbed. Easily, if you think about it, it's a liquid, so it's easily digested. So it's not like eating a steak where it's got to be broken down. But optimally, either way, we need to make sure that there's protein going through our system every three to five hours because we have what's known as a refractory period in the muscle. And that means that the muscle opens looks for amino acids in the bloodstream, closes again. If there's no amino acids there, then we don't get that transfer for that muscle protein synthesis, which is a problem. Um, so that's why when you wake up in the morning, like if you've been eating, so we've talked about, or we haven't, but there's discussions now around, we always believe that casein and protein was better overnight, but it's now research is showing that it's actually not. Um, even though it's a slower release protein, it doesn't seem to make a difference whether we have um, what protein we have. It's still in the bloodstream. It's just that we need like a bolus dose at night before we go to bed to make sure that there are those amino acids running through our bloodstream. Now, when we wake up in the morning after eight hours sleep, we've burnt those amino acids out of our bloodstream. There's, there's nothing left. So when the muscle opens and looks for amino acids and there aren't any, it immediately starts breaking itself down. So why would we fast during that time if we want optimal muscle growth? So one of the first things you could almost do is have yourself a protein shake as soon as you wake up, just to get those amino acids running around in your bloodstream to make sure that they're there so that when the muscle opens, there's amino acids, I'm going to, oh, beauty, we can start building muscle and we're going to continually build muscle. Then we wait another three to five hours and we put more protein into our system because that has burnt out. Then we wait another three to five hours and we put more protein in. So optimally, like going back to your original question of, oh, I've got to get 120 grams of protein. So I'm going to have three scoops, three scoops of protein powder. I'm going to have a chicken breast and a steak and I'm going to have it at eight o'clock at night. On a weight loss journey, that doesn't really matter. 
But when your optimal goal is to build your muscle, like build your glutes, build your biceps, whatever you want to build, by staging your protein every three to five hours, you will find that that amino acid pool is always running through your bloodstream. So every time the muscle opens, whenever it does, in goes the amino acids to build the muscle. And that's one of the things why I'm always, I guess, hit with people saying I can't do this and I can't do that when it comes to actually eating protein before you train if you train in the morning and a lot of people don't get this because they're like oh well i like training faster when i lift and do resistance training but the thing is that obviously you know you might have eaten dinner at 8 p.m and then you might train at 7 7 a.m or something that's you know 11 hours about consuming any protein and then so you're in what you know somewhat of a catabolic state right and then you go into resistance training and even though we think of resistance training as being, you know, an anabolic um, exercise or anabolic um, portion of, of your day, you're actually, it's actually quite a catabolic um, portion of your day. You're actually breaking things down. So it's not something that you actually want to enter into already being low on amino acids to then drill that in further by doing resistance training and things like that. And that's why one of the things I'm always looking for with my clients and, you know, I talk about, is you know consuming something before you train some protein will go a long way it's like oh well i can't have protein it's like well you can a lot of times just getting used to eating something and you know having a shake can be efficient or something you know that's a bit more um you know easily digested from a protein source in the morning can go a long way before you actually resistance train if if your goal is to really optimize the process and i know you said from a standpoint of you know weight loss and you know, is does it really matter and calories are you know the driver and and that's obviously correct and stuff like that but then we also want to look at you know are we losing weight are we losing fat mass you know because they can be two different things not that you're just going to all of a sudden lose your muscle mass just by dieting but we want to be you know biasing that weight loss to obviously fat mass and you know having that protein divide over multiple feedings throughout the day is what's actually going to help optimize that process when you're in that catabolic environment, which is actually a calorie deficit. Totally. And the thing is, and this is, if anyone takes, if everyone took one thing away from this podcast today, fasting is less than optimal. It's a great way to retrieve a, a calorie deficit. But if your goal is to build muscle, it is a long way less than an optimal environment because you are creating that catabolic environment where your body is breaking itself down. And if you're going to go and train, if you're going to wake up and you train in the morning before work and you go, oh, I can't have anything, well, I'll guarantee that you're going to have your coffee before you go. So what about if you have yourself a shake? Just make yourself up a scoop of protein, put a shake into your system. And if you're going to blitz it, maybe have put a handful of oats into it as well so that you got some carbohydrate. You, people don't understand how much better you train when you've got carbohydrate in your system, how much stronger you are, how much better. And you're going to actually have that protein running through as well. So while you're training and you're breaking that muscle down, that's why we train, don't we? We train to break the muscle down so it rebuilds. If you don't have any protein running around your system, What's it rebuilding itself out of? It's rebuilding itself out of itself. And therefore, you're not going to get the optimal goal. And anybody that's got that's grown good muscle, good muscle is actually optimizing their protein intake, full stop. They're training consistently, but they're optimizing their protein. 
I know since I started over the last two challenges, now I'm not tracking per se, but I'm ensuring that as soon as I get up, I get protein in. And every three to five hours, I get protein in. And even at 59, the muscle that I'm building at the moment is insane. It's just, even at 59, with what would be low testosterone, but I'm just building muscle. I'm just creating the environment and keeping the protein consistent going into my system. When, when people often think of, you know, protein, they think, oh, all right, cool. I'll go to the shop and get some whey protein. That's often the first thing. And that, that's a positive whey protein is fantastic. And I don't, you know, look at whey protein as supplementation. I just look at it as, as a, as a key component of trying to get your protein intake in. It's obviously cheap. It's time efficient. Um, and it's also actually as, as high quality of an amino acid source as you can get, but. Mm. I wanted to touch base on the other thing people generally gravitate towards when they think amino acids, which is BCAA, so branch chain amino acids. And, and you know, when I used to train a lot back in the day when I was really young, it was like, you got to take your protein and then you got to take your BCAAs. That was the key, you know? And so branch chain amino acids, you've got to take them. Um, and, and I think it was all drilled into us. And I remember probably eight, 10 years ago, you started to come out a lot of the evidence-based guys that were like, oh, you know, you don't actually need them. And everyone's like, what, what are you talking about? And I remember Alan Aragon mm -hmm. kind of had a saying about BCAAs was like, it's having BCAAs. If you're hitting already optimal protein intake is like, um, turning the sprinklers on for your garden when it's pouring rain outside, you know, so yep. it's, it, it's not adding anything because you've already got it. So do you want to kind of touch on why? BCAAs are not most likely needed. And we can also look at EAAs, supplements, essential amino acids. But then I think kind of maybe transition into the case for them for potential vegans situations. Yep. Excellent. Okay. So when we talk about BCAAs, I spoke before about the nine essential amino acids that we have that we must get from food. So Consuming like animal proteins, we get those nine amino acids every time we consume an animal protein. But the three BCAAs, which are branch chain amino acids, are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Now, leucine is the key to everything. It is the most important amino acid. It is what literally triggers the muscle protein synthesis. And if there's insufficient leucine, or there is one of the essential amino acids missing, then the body just dispenses the whole lot. So it becomes a pointless um, exercise. Now, a lot of people think, oh, well, if lysine's the key, if leucine is the key, then we must consume branch chain amino acids, um, which are those three. And so you see people walking around in the gym with their shakers, with their BCAAs unnecessary. If you're consuming protein, animal proteins, or you're getting sufficient protein through your plant-based proteins, then what actually happens is you're getting those BCAAs and you only need them in small quantities other than the leucine. The leucine, and we'll get to that as to how much you need, but you're already getting those branch chain amino acids in your bloodstream and they will just trigger the muscle protein synthesis. So by taking BCAAs, it is literally like what Alan Aragon has said. It is literally like 
um, literally watering your garden while it's in the rain or washing your car in the rain. It's just totally unnecessary. It's just a total money take, BCAAs. Um, no, no need for them at all. But it is important and very, very important for maybe vegans or vegetarians. And this comes down to the quality of their diet as well. With vegans and vegetarians, there's very, very few of what they consume that like we do for meat, that is a complete protein. So they have to mix different things to make sure they're getting those nine essential amino acids. So for argument's sake, bread is not a complete protein, uh, bread is, a, um, is not a complete protein for the wheat and neither is peanut butter. But when you put them together, it creates a full amino acid profile for people to eat. So if you're having, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you're having a uh, bread and uh, peanut butter sandwich, then you will actually find that you're getting all um, non-essential amino acids. So you don't need to be taking, taking BCAAs. However, if you are a vegan or a vegetarian and you are really struggling, living on donuts or cakes because you're vegan, you would, it would be optimal probably for you to actually use BCAAs to ensure that you are getting leucine, in the sufficient quantity to pr trigger the muscle protein synthesis so that it's not actually breaking that muscle down. So that's, that would be why um, vegans or vegetarians, and the same with the essential amino acids, because EAAs that we talk about as well, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you don't have a good diet, and when I say a good diet, it's not easy to put a vegan and a vegetarian diet together. You don't just go, oh, I'm vegan, because as you know, Mark, a lot of people that say, oh, I'm vegan, are out there smashing donuts and cakes and baked goods and things like that but just so that they're saving the animals. And while I'm not against that, it's very important that people make sure they cover everything in their diet for protein. Otherwise their body is gonna start breaking itself down and that's where people end up with all sorts of problems. So EAAs could be good for someone who has a poor vegan or vegetarian diet, because just because you're vegan or vegetarian doesn't mean you're on a good diet. Um, it's gotta be researched and covered and it takes a long time to learn how to eat properly on a vegan or vegetarian diet to make sure that you're covering that protein intake why is it that if we look at bcaa's you know um you know you've got the three in there if leucine is probably the the, the key component mm -hmm. why is it that you think we don't just sell leucine at a high level because i know you can buy leucine but why do they put um, valine and was it I, I was it the other one isoleucine uh, yeah isoleucine yeah, yeah, yeah isoleucine, why, why do we not just focus on leucine because again leucine is obviously probably the, the key key component of you know helping trigger muscle protein synthesis and i think what we needed was around three grams or something in in a meal to kind of do 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 that job i think um off the top of my head and why not just you know if we're going to have that would we not just look like adding say leucine alone to a post-workout meal uh, to be i'm going to be perfectly honest with you and i don't know where isoleucine and valine came into it i know leucine is in, integral but i'm not 100 percent sure and i'll research that but um i'm not sure why isoleucine and valine uh, obviously it's because of the structure of the uh, of the amino acid leucine isoleucine and valine Leucine, to correct you there, it's 2.4 grams per serving. We've got to make sure that we get 2.4 grams as a minimum. So for those that are listening, 
With your whey protein powder, you need to make sure that on the label or the profile, the amino acid profile for every scoop of your protein powder, it must have a minimum of 2,400 milligrams of uh, leucine. So when you have a look at the label and you see the amino acids, it will list, most of them will list all 20 amino acids or even the nine essential, but it will at least list them. And you'll see that leucine is on the label there. Make sure it's got 2.4 grams, otherwise you're wasting your time because it just won't have sufficient leucine to trigger the muscle protein synthesis. So, and if it's not on the label, go and have a look at the manufacturer's website or contact them and ask them how much leucine, because this is where the difference is between a quality protein and a poor protein, right? Because there's insufficient leucine in it. So to answer the question, I don't know why isoleucine and valine's in it. I haven't got a clue where they became the BCAAs and that's um, my own um, ignorance there because I really don't know. All I know is I'm an omnivore. I eat meat, so I don't need it. And it doesn't bother me in, in the slightest. But if you were a vegan or a vegetarian with a poor diet, you would want, when I say a poor diet, you know, you're not covering everything. You would want, maybe, you could benefit from BCAAs and you could benefit from um, essential amino acids, EAAs as well, which are the nine essential amino acids to make sure that you're covering the whole spectrum. Because if one of them's missing or in such a low quantity, then it will dis the body will discard the whole lot. And when we're talking about protein sources you know, being superior and things like that, that often comes back to that leucine kind of threshold, right? Like I think, I think dairy's the the highest with um leucine. Yep. I, I think then kind of like red meats and stuff like that, and then more white meats, fish, uh -huh. and, and then it comes down to more those um traditional kind of vegan sources, um rice protein, soy protein. So it's kind of like that leucine level kind of drops down the scale. And but to go back to what you kind of said from combining protein sources, that's why doing that is useful for vegans. But the other, I guess, the other thing I'd add in there due to vegans, vegetarians often having protein sources, which are potentially lower quality from that standpoint. Again, as much as I hate to be told this, this is probably another justification why they actually need higher protein intakes to make up for slightly lower quality. And that that's why it's often hard for vegans because they think, well, I'm already struggling to get 80 grams of protein in with my diet. Now you're telling me I should probably be at 140 grams of my diet. Um, I guess just a quick, a quick tip there. Like what would you kind of give a tip for kind of vegan vegetarian to get more protein in when they're already struggling? You know, we're not talking about competitors here. We're talking about, you know, your everyday mom and dad. Um, what's a quick tip they could maybe apply, do you think, to get more protein in? I think that the, without any doubt whatsoever, the best way for a vegan or a vegetarian to get protein in is to follow the journey of the soybean because soy is a... Uh, complete protein. And I think if you're going to have things like tofu and you're going to have um, things like tempeh, um, and there's a whole range of things that come from the soybean to make sure that you're actually getting it. But importantly, if you are making sure that you've got a really good balanced diet of a lot of vegetables and uh, grains, um, nuts, seeds, um, what else is there that we can consider? We've just got to make sure that we're understanding that we've got a high threshold of leucine. We need to make sure 
that we're mixing everything up, like we're getting rices and grains and whole grains and things like that to make sure that they are all well and truly covered. Because my, you know, for, for people to not have those covered, it really is, their body is literally just breaking itself down, which is why people go vegan or vegetarian and they find that they have, start to have some health issues. Um, so we wanna make sure that we're actually getting all those in. So if you're getting all of your uh, legumes, like your you know lentils, edamame, beans, um, soybeans, as I said, with the tofu and tempu, uh, tempu, tempu, um, peas, like green snow snap split, peas, beans, making sure you're getting a good range of that in. Nuts and seeds like flax seeds, pumpkin, chia seeds, um, cashews, hemp, pistachios. Chia is really good for it. Um, and then with your whole grains, wheat, quinoa. Quinoa is excellent. Rice, wild rice, oaks, buckwheat. If you're getting a good range of all of those nut seeds, grains, whole grains and legumes in, you will be covering your um, all your essential amino acids that you actually need to make sure. A lot of choices there. Um, yeah, there is. Yeah, there are choices. So um, I want to wrap up our protein intake. Obviously, we've spoken a lot about key components, you know, what we're looking for, why protein is important, you know, supplementation, things like that. But ultimately, the question you know, I always get a lot is, yeah. okay, cool. That's great. Well, how much protein should I have daily? You know, that's ultimately what people generally want to know and, you know, less less of the whys behind it and they just go, all right, tell me, you know, and that's why it's always good to learn the whys behind things. But from a standpoint of just application, do you want to kind of give a rundown of, I guess, maybe situational um, times of protein intake, amount of protein intake someone should consume daily for a few different kind of clientele? Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing to remember here is that the recommended daily intake of protein set by, well, the Australian RDIs, and it's pretty general worldwide as well, is 0.8 grams of protein per day, which is ridiculously low, right? Far, far too low for people. And we need to make sure that we are getting a lot more. That is just to sustain life for people. So we want to make sure that we are getting more than that. And at Coach Mark Carroll, we work off a minimum of 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, and I think that's a really good indicator to go as low as that. I wouldn't go any lower than 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. As I said, that point eight, which is the recommended daily intake, is to sustain life. And we don't want to get down to just sustaining life. We're all about keeping ourselves um, highly satiated. Now, if you were to look at um, someone who's kind of active, just a normal, someone doing one of your normal programs, right? Um, I would be looking at somewhere between 1.6 and 2.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Now that would also come down to satiation or fullness. Some people can't get 2.5 grams of protein in it. If you look at someone who well, let's just say someone who weighs 100 kilos, because we're going to make this math easy for ourselves, someone who weighs 100 kilos would have to get 250 grams of protein in. That is a lot of protein, right? A lot of protein. So you could go to the bottom end at 1.6 grams, which is only be 160 grams. Easy, right? So people can do that. So that's what I would look at. If someone's trying to go into the weight loss, 
it's much the same, right? It doesn't really matter, but we still want to make sure we're getting sufficient protein in our system to once again, to prevent that muscle protein breakdown. We talk about the synthesis all the time, but we've got to prevent the breakdown. That's the most important, right? Um, older adults, uh, they need to have uh, probably a little bit higher. Um, I think, once again, minimum of 1.6 grams. I can guarantee if you went and spoke to Nana or even your own parents and asked your parents to show you how much protein they have every day, I'll guarantee that they don't hit 1.6 grams. I guarantee it. Most people don't hit 1.6 grams of protein as they get to the 50s, 60s. It drops away because you sit there with your cup of tea and a biscuit, but you're not thinking about protein. Whereas that's where you need the protein more than ever. And athletes, we would go right up to about 2.7 grams. And when I talk athletes, people that are doing endurance, people that are serious competitors in relation to um, weightlifting, weight training. And we need to be making sure, and I think the best guide to make sure that you're hitting that leucine threshold for people, if they were to make sure, if they want to know, how do I hit this leucine threshold that you're talking about? Well, it's very simple. If you get your um, body weight and you're having a whey protein shake, you need to be getting 0.3 grams of whey protein shake of protein per kilogram of body uh, weight. So what if you weigh once again, um, 100 kilos, yeah. we're going easy massive. If you go, grams, let's yeah. say you, you weigh 99 kilos and you would need to get 33 grams of uh, protein from a whey shake and that would satisfy that leucine threshold providing the quality of protein is there yeah if you're having a mixed meal a mixed meal means you're having pro uh, protein carbohydrates and fats at that meal you need to be making sure you're getting 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight in to make sure that you're hitting that leucine threshold as well so by hitting 0.5 so um, have a look at that. So you want to be making sure that if you're having a mixed meal, like if you're going to have your chicken and salad sandwich, you want to make sure you're getting 50 grams of protein at that meal. If, if you're a 100 kilo individual, you want to make sure. And before you go to bed, to make sure that you're covering that, you want to go to 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight to make sure that that amino acid pool is still running around in your bloodstream overnight. So we want to make sure that we're hitting that 0.3 a whey shake, 0.5 for a mixed meal, 0.6 as a mixed meal before you go to bed is the optimal amount of protein. I'll also add, obviously, hearing a lot of these numbers might sound a bit complicated and yep. be like, oh, like, you know, you're new to calories and macros and you hear someone saying, oh, 0.3 grams and 0.5 grams and point this of all that stuff. Cool. In the end, once you start doing it, you start to find a normal range. It's like, all right, well, I know when I, for that, I probably need about 40 grams of protein to hit those things. Yep. So then you start getting used to, all right, what does 40 grams of protein look like in a meal? Yep. And then, you know, you through routine, you know, all right, cool. I know if I have chicken and rice, I need X amount of um, chicken and I need X amount of rice and I hit 40 grams. Yep. Uh, if I make a sandwich or whatever, you know, it, it gets pretty simple. A lot of the times things I find with fitness and nutrition sound quite overwhelming, especially things like tracking until you get started and then it just becomes routine. And then you're not actually thinking about these numbers because you just know, all right, I know from a, 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 a like a not so dialed in standpoint that 
I need X amount of food to hit X amount of calories. And it starts to become, you know, even if you're flexible dieting or not even tracking, you start to naturally gravitate to your own kind of meal plans just in your day. And you, you start to realize, all right, this is how much I need it. So don't kind of get overwhelmed with numbers. I find people go, oh, like, this is so complicated. It might sound complicated, but it's like even when you go to the gym, right? I need sets. I need reps. I need weight. I need to take to failure. It, it starts to come really natural once you just do it. So I'll just say, try not to get, I guess, too daunted by a lot of this stuff because it, it does, you know, when you break it down, sound more complicated than it actually is once you start doing it. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, super valuable um episode because obviously we talk about protein a lot protein is important you know if you're serious about your body composition you're serious about building muscle getting stronger and also obviously maintaining your muscle mass in a calorie deficit protein is going to be a huge factor of um, helping us along the journey so roger do you want to tell everyone where they can find you um and how you can help them as well yeah i've got um my Instagram is at uh, a underscore healthy underscore shift, where I put out you know tips and tricks to help shift workers around that. But if you can coach a shift worker, I think you can pretty much coach anyone as well. I've got my own podcast, which is a healthy shift, which Mark's appeared on as well. And um, I've also got my website, which is a healthy shift.com. And thank you again for having me. Yeah, I can't, as I said, recommend Roger and enough if you like to learn about nutrition and you know whether it's being a shift worker or just anyone trying to improve their body com composition i highly um truly recommend roger and he's puts out great content and also has an excellent podcast so don't forget um to go check out roger's um details which will be at the bottom of the podcast as well so guys if you enjoyed this episode please as always make sure you like um the or follow the podcast um, press um, as well if you haven't yet a five-star rating please help me out there it also help as always helps a lot more than you realize and please share to your audience if you found this valuable all right thanks everyone and thanks roger thank you <laughs>